Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, marketing consultant for architects. And if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation. Today's episode is sponsored by Bowbird, and I'd like to thank Bowbird for jumping on board and supporting the show. I've known Nick and Ben, the founders, for years and seen their platform grow from this small startup in Melbourne to now being all over the world with reach into China, the UK, Europe, and the US. If you've seen other architects and interior designers getting lots of media coverage all over the place and wondered, hey, how do they do that? There's a good chance they're using Bowbird, and that's because many of the best publications in the world source their content through Bowbird, like Wallpaper, Frame, Arc Daily, and many more. It's very easy to use as well. So if you've ever had a project professionally photographed, then you've got everything you need to get started. You just upload your project and start submitting it to your favorite magazines, newspapers, and websites. So if you'd like to find out more, I have a previous episode of the podcast with the co-founder, Ben Morgan, titled Figuring Out the Architectural Media. It's episode 12. Or if you just want to use Bowbird and try it out for yourself, then head over to bowerbird.io. Joining me on the show today is Yasmin Janine from YSG, a team of interior designers and architects based in Sydney. In this episode, Yasmin and I chatted about her approach to marketing and the things she's focused on that have helped YSG go from first launching in February 2020 to becoming one of Australia's most popular and recognized design studios in less than two years. We spoke about why she decided to invest so heavily in customized branding and the studio's website from the outset. We looked at how she views marketing and profile building as vital to her studio's growth, even if her clients still primarily come from word of mouth. We broke down the media process that's helped the studio get published in a wide variety of publications and why she feels it's important to reach a broad potential audience. And finally, we looked at how Yasmin has been able to offer hourly advice through a new expert booking platform and why she believes it's important to make design advice available to more people. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Yasmin Janim from YSG. Yasmin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My absolute pleasure. Um, Nice to meet you. You too. I really, really (laughs) appreciate it. Just to start things off, as always, maybe a little bit of an overview. It's coming up to sort of two years that the studio has been in business. February must be the anniversary. So Maybe give us a recap of the first two years of YSG. (laughs) YSG is an interior studio, but now actually um, also offering architecture, which is very exciting. We were born on the February 20th of 2020, and that was a very auspicious date because COVID kind of set in. So our business really has evolved during the entire pandemic. And maybe it's a, a great thing because we've done really well for the first 24 months, I guess, of our existence, 23 months. But yeah, we have a team of of 12 and love designing absolutely anything and everything. So it's not often we get asked to do something and we say no. So yeah. <laughs> that's that's great. So when you so this isn't your first ever design studio, right? So there was another business that you ran with your sister before, right? So do you want to maybe talk a little bit about I guess what that was and and how long you were doing that for before launching YSG? Yeah. 
I think like everything, Madonna does it really well. She evolves every couple of months, it feels like. And I've always really admired her ability to become a chameleon or she is a chameleon. And so I think through my career, the studios actually evolved not only from Amber Road, but a previous company that I had that was solo by myself. And I think I've changed my business name three times now. Why is she will be the third? And it because it changes, it evolves and your offerings become something different too. So yes, Katie and I, my sister, she was a landscape architect. We had a business together called Amber Road that was for seven years. And yeah. I guess we got the seven-year itch and decided... <laughs> decided that life life offered other things yeah. and families started to be created and she wanted to move over to WA. Yeah. So yeah, and prior to that, I had been working at a firm and met a girlfriend of mine there who was a co-worker and we really wanted to set up a studio together yeah. and she just kind of never jumped ship. And I left and I was like kind of with my hands in the air going, well, what do I do now? <laughs> so it was a solo affair. Then it was a partnership and now it's returned to a solo affair. When you started in February 2020, was it just you on your couch with your hand sanitizer starting a firm or was it a transition <laughs> from Amber Road? It wasn't like a completely clean slate. No, like the staff that I'd had at my Amber Road days came with me when we, we relaunched as YSG. But funnily enough, I only had four staff at the time yeah. and two of them were on mat leave pretty much when I started YSG. So I, I only had two girls with me and one of them actually was on holiday the day it was launching. So I only had one staff member with me who was, God bless her. She is like a graphic design whiz and knows a lot about website design and stuff like that. So she was actually the only person in the office that was helping me launch the brand that that very stressful day of February 2020. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely didn't go as smoothly as I had planned, but you know, uh, it happened. And when I pressed um, send, I think it was an Instagram post, actually. I can't believe I, everyone's talking about an Instagram post for a launch of something so huge, but that's literally what it is these days. And the minute you press send, it's like, all right, it's out there. It's in the ether. Let's see what happens. And that's what yeah, kind of been waiting for. To get everything up and running in preparation for that launch, was it a pretty compact process or did you spend quite a lot of lead time, maybe six months or so or whatever, in the lead up to that, just getting all the pieces in place? Because it feels like you came out the gate with everything pretty much <laughs> looking pretty immaculate. So it doesn't feel like it was put together by you <laughs> overworking yourself in two weeks. It, it feels like it was pretty no. methodical. I had a, well, first off, it was a decision-making process between my sister and I to even come to a conclusion of how to separate. Yep. And so that itself took a long time. You know, we're talking like 12 months mm. of who gets the name or how do we divide this or yep. do either of us get the name or do we really want to do this? <laughs> Should we stay together? There was lots of trepidation. And then with that came a lot of excitement because it meant I could start fresh and when... I could rename the business. I really wanted it to be an offering that was reminiscent of my heritage, my Arabic heritage. So we started with YSG just because it was easy to say because my name, if you actually say it out loud, is not that easy. So, <laughs> but I also also had always dreamed of working with Chris Doyle, who's an amazing graphic designer. We actually shared a space way back in the day wow. when we were both starting our studios. And I said, if I ever need you, because you're too expensive for me now, <laughs> but if... 
if I get an opportunity to do this yeah. again, you're my yeah. man. So I called him and I said, all right, we're doing it. And he, for 12 months, he and I, and uh, Dimity, who also does a lot of our PR and marketing, she did a lot of the copy. It was a very, a very big team effort on the three for the three of us. So I was driving the aesthetics and the message. Dim was doing a lot of the copy, making it like pop. Yep. And Chris, obviously, with his graphic design skills, really came out on top. I think he did a great job. I think in terms of the transition from Amber Road to YSG, and you mentioned there that you had learned some lessons from already doing it actually twice before sort of operating a business. Was there anything that stood out to you as, I have to prioritize this. This is the part that's essential. I really need to get this right. Like lessons or takeaways from those past experiences on what you absolutely need to have right coming out the gate. I think being as clear as day about what you're offering and creating a brand that you know is going to feed a niche market and not the entire world. You don't need to be everybody's favorite designer or go-to person like that's not what I want. I want a very specific type of work to work with very specific type of clients. And so for us, the branding really had to give that message from the get-go, from the minute you typed in YSG and went to the website, it was really important that you landed somewhere different. It wasn't it wasn't a black and white with beautiful imagery of interiors. It was a deep blood and uh, maroon color with poppy green fluoro colors and outrageously colored interiors. So it was already quite an ugly combination if you look at it, really. <laughs> From that perspective, it's not harmonious, but that's my job is to make unharmonious things look harmonious. And so I think that was really an important kind of thing to, to translate to someone who'd never used us before but wanted to. How could we tip them over the edge? How could we say, hey, we're not offering something like everyone else? So that was my take home from the previous. I think it was also just being a little bit less fearful. Yeah of what people would say or think of you. And it was like, no, this is going to be ace. Like I really want to, this is, this is the direction I think we should take. And it was just about not second guessing yourself so much. Did you find it pretty easy to strike a real point of difference when you're at that stage of kind of conceptualizing the vision for how the website and everything would be? Was it, were you kind of looking around and going, you know what, everyone's <laughs> playing it pretty safe. I, <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think it, we can come out with something w- pretty cool here. Yeah, it was it would that was actually quite torturous. I remember just even working out font styles. Yes. And Chris was he knows me and he's like, You don't do anything half assed and it's always really unique. So I think he had taken that as, Well, I need to make every single letter different. Yeah. And I was like, No, you need to just we went through so many different iterations of what it would look like visually, the YSG brand. And it just kept coming back as too forced, too different, too this, too that. I said, yes, we're all those things, but we're also really simple at the core. And so it needed to translate all of those ideas, simplicity, but with a bit of pizzazz. So that was a really hard balance to strike and it did take a while. But when we got there, we knew it was, that was it. That was, that was one. Yeah. Mentioning that the lesson was, we're not the studio for everybody. How do you think about that in in practice, in terms of narrowing down that target audience? I think interiors just in general is so much more than just four walls and applications of finishes. It is really about embodying a spirit of a memory or a a future ideal. And I feel like there's not a lot of clients who are willing 
to accept that that's what the new age of interiors is. There was this time in the 90s where you'd paint a wall and it was red and that was your feature. That's not what interiors are anymore. They're really fully immersive pieces of art. And if you're trying to sell that idea to a client, you really have to, uh, the client really has to trust your vision from the get-go, otherwise you'll never get there. So that was really important to wanting clients to trust the process, to be able to come to you and say, I love your work. I don't actually want to give you that much to work off. I want you to come up with the scheme. I want you to come up with the brief and we'll kind of follow you. And those type of projects, when the outcomes are achieved and you don't have somebody saying, oh, can we water it down a little bit? The outcome is just stupendous. And so part of the process, I think they're all a bit freaky, a bit get a bit freaked out and go, shit, what have I signed up for? And why haven't I said no? And then you get to the end and it all makes sense. And it's like puzzle pieces or finally making this amazing piece. And they step away from it and they go, wow, we should we got it. We get it now. And we thought that the renders might've gotten you there from the get go, but we'll always place the render next to the finished outcome. And this, and it's literally like looking at the same thing. So that's really cool. When you get the release from a client and they let you kind of run with it, that's pretty magical. So that's the ideal client, that, that client that's, (laughs) (laughs) that's like run with it. (laughs) Isn't that everyone's ideal Mm -hmm. client at the end of the day? I think it's trust and I had to do that with Chris. A lot of the time he would do something and I wasn't like 100% like loving it, but I knew at the end I had to trust it because I, I knew that he would he had something in mind that I, do, I wasn't seeing. So as a client on that end, I was trying to do what I try and tell my clients to do, just trust the process. Yeah, and, and if we are thinking about like your, maybe just your website, I know that's just one area, but if that first impression is contributing to that sense of, trust me. And if you can't trust me, get lost. (laughs) Um, How how do you feel that the website and the branding kind of, how does it achieve that? It's obviously been successful doing it, but what is it about it that you think it, it contributes to that message that you're trying to get across? It was really important. I think some of our inspiration behind the website and the way it was styled was motivational political posters from the 60s. Cool. Things that were kind of like shouting out at people like, hey, we want you for this or a statement of some kind rather than this is what we offer and you can have it if you want. <laughs> it was if you're looking for something like this, this is you can't pick anyone else. Yeah. And so that's why our landing pages are quite bold and repeat the same thing over and over again just for a bit of like, hey, in case you forgot, <laughs> this is what we're about. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's it's almost like we were, we were calling people to us, not necessarily offering up our services. I started out as a graphic designer before interior, so I have a real soft spot for graphics. And I think if relayed or designed well, it can really drive home a very strong message and do a lot for someone's business. And so I still find that to this day, I'm really attracted to brands with really strong, strong graphics and a a strong story. Yes. And in this process, really clearly put your money where your mouth is in terms of time and energy and investment as well. Because going to somebody like Christopher Doyle and going through that extremely in-depth 
website design process, that is not the same as chucking up a Squarespace website in an afternoon, right? Like it is a very, very different process. But clearly it was so worthwhile for you to make that big investment. Yeah, I was, it was always something I really wanted to do. And I think even with Amber Road, it was something that I had always envisioned us doing a lot earlier on. And it is a it is a financial commitment. And I think it does take a lot of headspace. And if you're busy and you're running accounts and HR and project management and client management, it, it does kind of weigh you down and you're like, oh, is it really worth it? Who even looks at websites anymore? Yeah. And that's essentially what it comes down to. Everyone goes, oh, you're just looking at an Instagram account and that's enough. But doing my own uh, or opening up YSG solo, that was when I knew that I could do what I'd always wanted to do, which was make a really strong brand. I wanted to be like, I still want to be like uh, as strong as some of those massive fashion brands, YSL, for example, and Gucci. And those guys have like some sick credentials Mm -hmm. behind them because of what they've created from a branding perspective. And looking forward into the future, it's not just interiors that we want to focus on, it's furniture and then designing that and so many more things that encompass our world of interiors, but is not just interiors. It's so many more things. So I think if you wanted to do that, then you needed to create a brand that would harness all of those things and not just one part. So for me, we're only getting started. This is like a incy wincy wincy bit of what we want to do. Yeah. So you need to build it on top of a really powerful brand at the base so it's worthwhile even when initially it doesn't feel like it was absolutely critical to securing work right it's interesting because sometimes that's how maybe branding is perceived it's like should I spend this money to get more clients or or whatever it's seen through that lens it's not really seen through the way that you're describing it there yeah I definitely I don't know if I've ever gotten work off of a website (laughs) to be honest we get a lot of work off Instagram I don't think anyone's gone and looked for YSG online and gone, oh, yeah, sick website. (laughs) I'm going to get them involved. But it was more for me. I think it was really a personal decision to invest in that way. And I haven't looked back. Like I love it so much still to this day. So, yeah, Chris was a a real genius at what he came up with. That's, That's very interesting to describe it as you don't really get work from the website. So that idea that the Instagram is still kind of the storefront. You find that that's where those client inquiries come from. And what they, for you, they're not actually then going through your website and then doing a sort of a deeper browse or are you finding people are going Instagram straight into the direct messages? <laughs> they're in the office on Monday. Yeah, I definitely have had more of that late of late, but I was actually traveling overseas recently for work and it's a really large residence and it's in the Middle East. And I was really curious how they ever even came across us because we're worlds apart on different sides of the globe. I was like, how the hell did you find us? And they're like, Instagram. And I'm like, what? Mm. Like, it was just mind blowing as to how much power that little app has. It's nuts. It's absolutely incredible. But all of our work before then has been word of mouth. And most of our clients who come to us for one job, we end up doing about four or five future projects with them too. So it's a lot of repeat work. And we go and hang out with them at for dinner and go and grab lunch and even outside of the work environment 
we create really healthy relationships with our clients. So yeah, it's it's crazy how you get work. You never know how you're going to get it. You could be sitting next to somebody on a bus or yeah, it's very random, but I love that part about it. I love anything that's random. Being in the right, <laughs> so pla- really the right place at the right time sort of yeah. thing is, is usually where a lot of that work comes from. Then in, totally. in that case, when you think about the effort that I can see you putting into all of these different areas, the website, the amount of stuff you do with the media, the profiles, uh, entering lots of awards and doing well in awards and all of that stuff, like that's significant time and energy and everything like that. If you find that really your work just comes from who you're sitting next to at the the business class lounge. Then why like, bother with it? Why bother with it? And I ask that as a sort of, I guess, like a rhetorical mm. question in a way, but yeah, like yeah. What, what, what role does that play in that? Is it still useful to be a well-known practice when you're ultimately just meeting people or what's the what's your thoughts on that I think I I come from a musical background and was in bands for many years Mm. and nobody would listen to you unless you had a profile (laughs) so I think a lot of my love for building a profile is based on well who's going to listen to you if you don't have something to back you up and we have a lot to say and that is something that's really important is for me, you got to have some street cred. If you if you don't, then who the hell's going to say, yeah, I want it? It's not even about engaging us. It's about understanding where we're coming from. And you can't do that unless you put yourself out there as many times over as you possibly can. And so that's what we're trying to do. But it's not necessarily gain work. It's to gain, it's not even respect or maybe Authority, it is. Authority, it almost it's, sounds it's, like. Like yeah. to be able to, 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 to sort of be listened to and, and to. Yeah. So that's something that's definitely developed because of, of God, the, the shit times you had to go through, band yeah. stuff and get people to listen to. You know, I've, I've had marketing campaigns in my head for ages, like getting helicopters and dropping shit out of the plane <laughs> and just dropping it on top of people's heads. Have you seen that movie? What's that movie where Roseanne Barr is the devil? No. What's that? Um, old 80s movie. Anyway, one, that's one of her tricks yeah. and it's always been something I've wanted to do. She's She was like opening up a business and decided to throw all these flyers out from the 10th story of this building in the middle of New York City and it was just such a memorable clip in that in that movie for me. So one day I'll do it, yeah. maybe with a helicopter. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> really know. But so many so many architects and designers get into this idea of none of that stuff is important or maybe they won't admit that it is, but they'll sort of go, well, what does that do? I'm going to get kind of evaluated on my work or how good I am or how well I mm-hmm. serve my clients. And it's like if I don't have a profile and nobody's ever heard of me, how's that going to be a problem? But you know, yeah. I don't know about that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, again, it comes back to my my love for entertainment. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, like part of the reason you love entertainment is because you love being on show. Yeah. Like that's inherent in me. So I do it because of my past, my past passions, I think, I have translated somehow into other things for the interiors, which is really great because I get to mix a bit of everything. Yes. So I've really enjoyed that part. That's awesome. We're getting very deep and philosophical into into it. I am curious in terms of you did mention that it was this collaboration between you and Chris and was it Dimity or the name of your PR? Yes, Dimity. And so how did that work as a partnership between the the three of you? I guess having someone else helping with that and the value of that. Mm. 
what what makes collaborative work work really well is inviting people in at the right time. So you never do it all at once. You kind of have to establish a base ground first for then people to build up on. Otherwise, you can go around in circles for quite some time and then your idea of what you want gets quite muddled and watered down and then you kind of get a bit lost. So it was always something that Chris and I had started and I'd come to him with past or other people's websites that I really appreciated and not to say, hey, can you do something like that? But I'll tell him why I really liked it and why I thought it was successful. So they were all quite different. And then once we'd kind of done the groundwork, a bit of laying of the land, then we brought on Dimity and said, well, this is how we kind of want to structure the words. And this was something Chris could have totally have offered as well. But I had worked with Dimit previously and I knew that she was the right person in terms of flourishing aspects to some of the words that we wanted to use. Words are really important in creating stories and for us when we do conceptual packages, we create little blurbs like maybe four or five sentences that really hone in on the description of a vibe and it could be uh, a reimagination of an afternoon setting and and how that might appear and how it relates to an interior. So it's again, quite emotive. It's not talking about the materials that you're using or the way the space plan or the way the floor plans are kind of done. It's really talking about emotions. So I wanted that same conveyance on the website and I knew she could do that really well. Not to say there wasn't heaps of redlining, like there was <laughs> yeah. lots of back and forth and going, no, that's way too hectic or that's too wordy or condense that or change that word for this. There was a lot of that. but And we were kind of in the thick of that for quite some time. But then it all just kind of like anything, you try, 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 and it just all kind of falls into, into place at the very end. So uh, that's where we got to. Yeah. And Talking about the um, emotive and the and and the power of the words and those descriptions, and I think that like translates through to the project pages on your site. Are very they have those really bold, striking statements at the top. But at the same time, you list materials used. You talk about square meters. You talk about these sorts of things, and we don't often see like that level of detail about the projects. And it reminds me more of what quality publications do in terms of their thoroughness in terms of explaining mm. the project mm. and it feels like you take an editorial approach like this is almost like reading a magazine article except you're on our website what was the kind of the thinking behind that have i have i got it kind of right or what is there a sort of a theory yeah, behind no, that i mean the the magnetism in the mix is really a description of how we like to play with materials so we love a mishmash of different things and so for us the beauty in any interior is the mix of those materials, hence that tagline. So when you, we wanted to portray each of our interiors as pieces of art. And so the label that sits underneath it is much like what you would read at an art gallery. If you were to look at a piece of art, it would have how, how that artwork is made. And so the description is an an art label in itself and describes the materials that we used or that were heroed in the project. And often the more exotic, the names of the natural marbles and things like that, it gets quite fun and kooky, you know, and then you mix it with some desirable New Zealand wool for the carpet, but it gets quite fun to mix and match the language. So yeah, that's where that came from. But yeah, from an editorial perspective, I do love, like I said, the graphic design part of me loves laying things out and making it look like a magazine. My portfolio after I left uni 
very much looked like a magazine layout because I just wanted a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about magazines and and yeah. media? So you obviously mentioned that you've got Dimity helping you with PR. And so I think I'm sure a lot of these questions will be, this is what Dimity does and this is kind of the result. But I guess your overall thoughts, we spoke about, I guess, the benefit of of being published and why it's valuable in terms of building your profile and being famous as hell and have everyone listen to you when you when you tell them they should do something and trust you that's like all really clear but I guess in terms of that PR strategy you've been so successful with it in the last couple of years getting published all over the place so you've achieved this sort of wide approach in terms of a whole range of different publications you haven't just gone to like the same place over and over again is there a strategy behind that in terms of broadening that kind of coverage a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want interiors to be approachable or accessible for one type of person. And if I only honed in on one magazine, I'd only ever get one type of client. So for me, it's about broadening our potential horizons. And that includes overseas international publications as well. So we've just signed on our fifth overseas project, which is really fun. I hope one day that we can open a studio over overseas in the Middle East and potentially other areas. But yeah, if, doing international work has proven in the last 12 months, it, it gives us so much creativity and I think super exciting for the staff as well because we're just now in the throes of sort of organizing trips over to one of the sites which are heavily in construction and that's just super fun for anybody, staff or myself included, to be able to convey these messages in another area other than Sydney. So that's super fun. If you like what you're hearing so far, please share this episode with colleagues you think would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app? Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. Just head to ratethispodcast.com slash Dave and pick your favorite podcast app. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on an upcoming episode. By including international publications and also sort of different types of publications like the AFR and Australian and David Jones Magazine and all these different awesome places where, where you guys have gotten published, does it also mean that you can get published in more places overall? Because if you were just selecting an architecture magazine or an interiors arch- magazine, so let's say we, we definitely want to be in vogue, they have a whole bunch of other publications that they're exclusive with or against or kind of competing with. So you're not going to be able to turn around and give that same project at the same time to three other competing magazines. So some studios they get stuck where they can only really kind of feel like they can get published in one place because that's their sort of their view of where can I get published. Yeah. Whereas it seems like you're able to have a much larger presence by keeping an eye open to all these other places. I mean, we usually have some like limitations on how long between if you're publishing the same project between multiple magazines, then yeah, there's some limitations on, hey, you can't do that for another four or five months. So there's a lot of wait time in between things, lots of embargoes you've got to kind of deal with, but I'm not snotty in terms of where our work goes. You want it to inspire people, even if it's not um, an affordable kind of exercise for a lot of people, it's still something to strive towards. And I know that's how I found interiors when I was younger. It's not 
I just love looking at amazing spaces. It doesn't mean that I have the capacity to engage someone like that, but it gave me hope and excitement for the potential to do something like that in the future. And I think if we can do that, I've done my job. Like I love that idea. That's so true. And so when a new project is coming up, I'd love to completely expose your process <laughs> so everyone else can steal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like we're getting to the point, the project is finishing, it's going to look amazing. At what stage does the logistics and decision-making begin around when are we going to get the photographer organized? What do we do next to put together like a media kit? Could you walk us through the steps of what a, how a yeah. typical project kind of unfolds once it's finished? I, I think about that the day I meet the client, really. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I know I know where the shots, the money shot's going to yeah. be. And I know this is obviously always at the discretion of our clients. We never force any of them to be published. It's totally up to them. We do always try and photograph the project, but it's not always possible either. Right. So we've been very lucky with our clientele being quite open about where it's placed and, and having shoots and things like that. So we're incredibly lucky in that in that regard. But if it takes a long time to finish a job and, and we're kind of in a situation at the moment where it's probably a good couple of months, like the, the build's finished, but we've got to let the landscape kind of settle. And there's always bits and pieces that we need to bring in and, and, and enhance and make better. And there's, it's like an ongoing, it's like, it could be years, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I never like to rush those things because there's nothing worse than photographing a project when it's not quite ready. Cause you know, immediately when you look at it, oh, that could have, you could have really waited and it shows. So we do, do kind of wait and we do work with a photographer, Prue Rusko. She does yeah. most of our photography. I think we've used a couple of other people, but very sparingly. And she just captures light very beautifully. I think it's really nice to be able to look at a website and know that everything on there is photographed and framed in the same manner. And I think it helps also, again, bring that idea of branding back to a, having a strong brand if something's collectively quite similar in aesthetics. So it can sometimes take two days. We bring in a stylist, Felicity, who used to work for us. She's an incredible stylist, incredible eye. And we work through what we want to add and layer to the project. And then, yeah, sometimes there's maybe 10 of us <laughs> running around, putting things in places, packing things up. Yeah, lots lots of people, lots of hands are involved in those days. And then when we get all the images back, we select our favorites and create a sort of a marketing pack for kind of sending out to people so they'll have a description, short description of the project and then five or 10 images. And then we'll collate them in a nice sort of uh, laid out kind of package that we send out to a bunch of mags and see who's interested in publishing. So it's never really like sending it off to one specific person that we have in mind that we know would really love to publish that story. It's about kind of giving it up and seeing who wants to eat it. So you're not doing a sort of one by one step by step approach with different editors and things like that. You're going, hey guys, it's feeding time here, <laughs> throwing it out there and just going, let's see what comes back. Uh, it definitely depends on the on the, on what the project yeah. is. It's very hard to place hospitality and corporate work. It's really easy to place residential. So 
in the resi world, yes, we'll we'll kind of focus in on a couple of magazines that are locally, you know, favourites in Australia. But you know, if you're doing overseas publications as well, are they online or are they on print? And there's a lot of things to consider. It's not you don't have the same rules if it's yeah. online. And often overseas publications don't want to feature your projects if they've been published already anywhere. So it doesn't matter if it's local or not. So yeah, there's definitely things to to kind of consider, but I, Dimity is really good at managing and kind of juggling, hey, we've given that mag quite a bit. Let's give this mag a bit and kind of just sharing the love, which is a nice thing to do. Yeah. Dealing yeah. with the overlap of all the different publications, it's a bit like planning seating arrangements at a wedding. I think it's like they want to be with that person, but that one can't sit on the same table as that guy. It's like very, yeah. like, it's a lot of that sort of thing. There's a lot of that. Uh, and There's that's a lot of that. kind of tricky to manage, but you've you've kind of gotten a feel for it now, obviously. Yeah. But that comment about let's give somebody else a turn is interesting and comes back to that thing we were speaking about with the variety, right? Like you actually don't want to end up, mm. what, it sounds like you don't want to end up oversaturating any one publication in particular. So no. try and move it around a little no, bit. No, definitely not. Yeah, it's always really nice to have a couple, yeah, lots of different people interested in your yeah. work. Like it, it goes back to that idea of, influential in your industry how do you be influential if you're only focusing in one very small part so you have to really open up to everything and I I think it's really important to be varied in everything you do even the way that you try and manage your staff or try and teach your staff or talk to clients like interiors is really about managing people it's not much about actual interiors <laughs> yeah. or I f- I'm finding that more and more. It used to be when it was just me, it definitely used to be more about just me and interiors and obviously not being able to take on so much work meant you didn't talk to that many people. But with the increase of staff, the increase of projects, you naturally get an increase of communication with a very varied amount of people from different walks of life, different countries, different settings, different ages, different ethnicities and I find that so interesting about interiors that it does become so much more about the language rather than the design and if you can capture both and they sing and 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 marry that's where the real awesomeness starts to kind of kick in when you're coming up with a description or putting together that media kit and describing the project do you generally work more from that sort of evocative sort of emotive statement that you mentioned earlier as your description or do you tend to keep it more practical in terms of this is what the project is about or this is the client? Do you tend to lean one way or the other? It's Yeah, it's definitely more pragmatic and more sort of, yeah, this is what it was, the five-bedroom single-dwelling house that got revamped and did blah, blah, blah. But there is also an overarching hero idea, which we include in the text as well. And that stems from having a very solid concept to begin with, the thing that you always go back to and return to and say, "Does does it hit that mark? And that's something we do in the studio a lot is just make sure that, those initial ideas are always at the forefront of any decision that we make. Yeah. And do you tend to shoot pretty much everything that's coming out of the studio or do you have projects occasionally where maybe you can't shoot it because of the client or some of the reasons you mentioned earlier, but do you generally speaking shoot pretty much everything and, and, and distribute it or what's your, or or do you tend to try and be more selective? I I tend to believe, or I'm in the mindset of if I'm not going to shoot it, I don't, 
really what's the point of taking the project on. Not because yep. I need to shoot it, but you shoot it because it's good. And if you're not doing good work, then why would you take yeah. the project on? I don't take a project on just to feed the studio. Yeah. Like if I just don't do that and I won't do that. I'm not going to subject anyone to have to come into work and work on a project that is mind boring, like mind <laughs> numbing. I just can't do that. Like I would hate, I hate that. And I've been there. I've done that. I've worked at places where I just have literally gone to the bathroom and yeah. cried because I'm like, get me out of here. This is hell. And I don't want to do that to my staff. I want them to come, you know, into the studio and feel like, oh my God, I'm so lucky I get to design this today. So yeah, in short, we shoot everything because we want it to be yeah. awesome. Taking a step back, I guess, to having assistance with your PR, that's an amazingly helpful thing to have, right? And getting by without somebody helping with you with that when you have the number of projects that you're putting out in a 12-month period, that would quickly become pretty overwhelming or you would have to almost yeah. limit yourself down to I messaged one editor about the project, then I move on. Like you would not have the time to do much more than that. So it must be, you know, really, really great having somebody helping you with that. Absolutely. I mean, back in the day, it was something that I was solely taking care of. And even before we launched Amber Road, we worked really closely with a PR. My, we were just about to launch and I said, well, who the hell's going to know about us unless we get some help? So I actually contacted a, a very good friend of mine now, but she wasn't at the time. And I remember meeting her thinking she was she was going to be our savior and she she was. So we she helped kind of launch Amber Road in an architectural garage like seven years ago when we painted Amber Road on the floor and had like, I don't know, 50, 50 or so guests who were all from different publications. And we did this awesome slideshow. No one knew who the hell we were, but I knew that that was something that was really important because you can kind of get lost in the mix. This it's, it's a very competitive industry. If you don't stand out, you can get um, trampled on pretty quick. So that's always been very important to me to kind of not be <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what is it? What is it that makes PR people so good at what they do? Like, how do they achieve such good results? Connections, is it connections? talking. Yeah. It's talking. It's who you know. And at the end of the day, it is really that old saying: is it's who you know, and it's so it couldn't be more true. And so, the longer you're at it, the more contacts you acquire, and usually the contacts just get better and better and better. Yeah. God, I sound like such a media whore. That's not my intention <laughs> at all. I, I grew up in an environment and, a, and an international school where I, I, I spoke to loads of different people all the time. And my husband's always, he always points out that I can talk to anybody. It doesn't matter where they come from or what job they've got or their past. It, it is something that I feel really comfortable. I could pretend like I'm that person one day and this person the next. I feel very comfortable in those situations. And I think that's where I come from when I'm talking about contacts, you have no idea where the next job is going to come from or anything. So I love being in random situations where you meet somebody and that actually happened the mm. other day. Like I couldn't believe it. I One of my clients, new PA, is actually my husband's ex-roommate from 10 years ago. 
and met him like a handful of times because he's just moved. He just moved in at that time, and then he opens the door to my client, and I'm like, "What are you doing here? Like, I haven't seen you in ten years." And then we took pictures together and had like an hour long conversation, had beers, and I was just like, "I know that he's going to do something in the future. Somehow, he's going to do something for the studio. Like, I know that in my heart of hearts." And I think he feels the same about me. And I feel like there's this weird aura around connections of people and how their stories intertwingle into mine, like in the future. I'm a very strong believer of that. There, No, no meeting is by chance. It's not. Yeah. And you really can't teach that, can you? <laughs> I mean, do you just kind of come along with that based on how you grew up and your life and your story? Or is there something that can be done to be more proactive about that. If we think about what the opposite of that looks like, which is the person who's sat at the desk checking their email all day, or just in, in the grind, mm. not really emerging for air at all. You almost need to have a little bit of freedom and variety in your mm. lifestyle to be able to continue to do that. So do you ever have times where you feel unable to do that natural skill that you're good at? And then is there anything that you can do to fix it? I definitely felt like that when I was in working for other studios. I, I think that's why I've loved working for myself is because I have that ability of changing my day from yesterday to today to tomorrow. They're all different things. I do different things every day, like most interior designers. But I think it's really important to, to let your staff feel that way too, that they're not chained to the desk, that they are the makers of their day as well, even though there's a, a list of things to get through. You don't have to do them in the old school way. So everyone at the studio has a laptop and it's not necessary that they come into the office. It's a pretty fluid and flexible work environment, especially after COVID. And people don't feel inspired all the time. And if they feel more inspired at home to do things or in groups collectively, we've had a couple of situations where we've been in client's house while we're doing, you know, construction and kind of hanging out there for mm. multiple days on end, just working there as well. And I think that's really important for people to appreciate what's involved during those stages, especially for staff, just to to know how much goes into these these final moments of any project. So we encourage not staying at your desk all the time and doing changing up your day a little bit more. And it's pretty hard when everything is yeah. based very much on a computer screen. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's difficult. And when you're busy, you get stuck. In, in a grind. So I have to remind myself that people need to move around. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and it's, it's not exactly a marketing question, but it is a business question, which I guess around that busy level, when you see it's going into the red sort of dangerous zone, have you, with your experience in business ownership and running a business, have you developed a pretty good sensitivity for when that's starting to happen? Or <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's about forecasting. Yeah. And my husband's actually just recently joined the company about 12 months ago. And he comes from an engineering background oh, cool. and he's very good at forecasting disasters. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so he's, he's kind of taken that role on really well. But obviously there are moments sometimes when the studio just cannot, doesn't matter how much you can foresee, it is just too much and you got to get through it. So there's sticky parts and I... I really try to keep those sticky parts small and sometimes it's unavoidable. But, you know, people will call me out and go, hey, this isn't cool. And I appreciate that and we'll 
figure out ways to get it out of that mess. But it's all about communication and our industry is very bad at just those expectations of very late nights and we've all been there. I've done it many times too at my previous jobs and not having much appreciation for it or the staff getting appreciated for their efforts. So we're in the mindset or starting initiatives this year about profit sharing because we think that's really important. If people put in the hard yards, well, why shouldn't they get something back for it? So that's something that we're building policies on and starting uh, to set in place in motion this year. So that's really exciting too. That's very cool. Very kind of big change of topic, but I'm interested in getting a little bit of a background on your work through the expert platform. (laughs) Is it okay if we touch on that? as well yeah sure that stood out to me as probably one of the most unique things I've seen and I'm personally a big believer that architects and designers can provide value in much smaller doses to a wider variety of people and we don't have to just have this structure that we stick to yeah and so do you want to maybe give a bit of an overview of what that platform is and how you got involved and what you've been doing with it yeah the expert is a really clever platform. The guys who created it did it in such a short amount of time and I think were recognised as one of the biggest platforms that began in the last 12 months on Forbes or something like that. They're really amazing, great initiative. Like you said, not everyone can afford a designer and, and the input and value that someone of our expertise or the level can provide someone within 60 minutes is actually quite incredible. I actually couldn't believe that we could get through that much Mm -hmm. information in just a short hour. So we kind of sent through our things. A friend of mine at the time who was helping us out with our socials knew the guys from the expert and said, hey, why don't you have a look at YSG's profile? So they said, oh, I love your work. Let's get you on board. And at that time, I think there was only one other Australian studio on the platform. I don't know how many more are on there at the moment. But so that was nice to be uh, kind of one of the the earlier studios from this kind of region. And a lot of people talk about Australian design being at the top of their game. And I think there's a lot more outsiders looking into to what everyone's doing over here because it is so interesting. And so essentially what the idea is, is that people book you in for a allotted uh, hourly rate and they sit down with you and send floor plans an hour before you start the session. So it's you don't have heaps of time <laughs> to think about it. But if you are an expert, then you should be able to think on your feet. So that's it's always a test for me and I really enjoy that too. I'm like, what challenge am I going to get today? So I sit down with them. They go through the plans. We talk about all sorts of things from spatial layouts to I've had been working with this architect, but I'm not really keen on what they've done. What do you think? So it could just be about a plan for an hour or it could be about materials or just a very small part of a very big build. So the scope really varies, but it's really fun. I always leave those sessions feeling really pumped yeah. and energized. Yeah, and there's such a different yeah. vibe to your normal day-to-day, right? <laughs> they're like a completely yeah. different way to to work and operate. And I yeah. can imagine it must be a nice feeling to hit that 60-minute mark, meeting's over, and you go, oh, my responsibilities just kind of end there. <laughs> like that, that yeah. must be kind of cool. I mean, i got to say 
that. But also just knowing you kind of feel like Mother Teresa for yeah. a moment. You go, oh, I really actually helped yeah. somebody a lot, a lot in mm-hmm. a short amount of time. Like I really love yeah. that feeling. And yeah, it's been a really great fun way to connect with people all over the world. Like we were working with a really young guy in New York City who just bought his first apartment and it was really small and he wasn't sure about how to space plan or materiality. And then we worked with another lady in LA in one of her houses and she loved what we were talking about so much that she actually engaged us to do a concept. So we did that for her. We worked with a really lovely couple in New Zealand, another couple in the Philippines. So it's a really varied market. And again, just throwing yourself out there and do these things turn into bigger opportunities. So everything that we do is always about opening up every single yeah. possibility. There's uh, There seems to be skepticism in the industry around the short time span, short doses of advice and help as a part of the business model. And I think mm. sometimes that's because, or part of it is because designers might say, well, if somebody is just coming to us for one hour or that's what they can afford, they probably can't afford a proper project or a full project. So how's mm. it going to turn in, into mm. something meaningful or worthwhile for our studio? Is the way that you're looking at it that part of it is that these projects, these small things could just be the starting point of a relationship that maybe eventually does lead into a project or it's just even, it's yeah. It's definitely... Yeah, it's not even it like that would be yeah, a bonus. It's not the core reason that you're that you see it being worth your time. Nah. No, I think the core reason is to be a designer for everybody and not just a select few yeah. who can afford a full blown yeah. project. It's really nice to be able to offer advice for people who are keen design advocates, like they love design. They just maybe don't have a budget for a full design service. But their hour is used really well and the questions they ask are often a lot more insightful than clients that we're doing full project timelines with. They really care about what they're asking so they can get the right advice. So that's really nice. I really value those those sessions. They're super fun. It's also interesting in terms of promoting it or pitching it on social media on Instagram because one obstacle I've found with the full service is that we want to create a little bit of mystique. We don't want to be posting all the time saying, Commercial. come in for a consultation to talk about us designing your next house. It feels a bit kind of um, weird using that kind of language to talk about our normal service. Yeah. Whereas when you're doing something different, yeah. like a consultation or a package or a one hour Zoom or something, it feels a bit more casual and you can push it out there a mm. bit more and say, hey, come book this thing, we're doing this thing, come sign up for it. And it's that nudge, it's that call to action, which normally you don't really get much chance to do as a designer or as much. No, it's ju- it, it just comes back to that being approachable. Exactly. You know, I, I, I just want people to go, I can have a chat to you ass about something for an hour and it'd be normal and not, yeah, don't want it to ever feel uncomfortable. This is supposed to be an exciting yeah. thing. So... Keep it, keep it catch. Do you think that there's any other opportunities for designers to offer services in different ways? I would love to start to have many things at the studio where it might hold 50 or so people and it's just a conversation. I actually had a funny thought of getting my mum involved because <laughs> she's quite a character and she's very good at language and making people feel really comfortable and at home. 
So I was actually thinking of having conversations with Vic. Yeah. Her name is Vicky. Interviewing top-notch architects and designers <laughs> and actually talking about random shit, not even yep. about design. But often when you talk about the random stuff, other things about their design process that they wouldn't normally talk about because they've been asked in a different way. So that was the whole purpose or the premise of these little conversation snippets. So I am thinking about developing it, but my husband thinks I'm <laughs> so crazy. So it's potentially a podcast starring your mum interviewing <laughs> architects. Or is yeah. it a, it's a 50-person event, so you're actually doing it in front of a live audience potentially. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but we'll see. Again, it comes back to the band thing where you you do these little secret uh, shows at other people's lounge rooms. It would only hold 50 people who are however many people they could fit in the lounge room essentially and you could have this private show by a really cool band. So, yeah, but it'll be. I think it would be really fun. Mum's uh, Mum doesn't actually know about it yet, so. <laughs> I think if you just like played music and invited everyone on your Instagram account to an exclusive fifty-person <laughs> thing in your studio, then that would sell out in like a minute. I don't so, know about that. so we've we've touched on a few. We're getting to the end of the time that we've got available, but we've touched on a few things. We've talked about publications, the website. We spoke a little bit about social media, the hourly sessions. Is there anything else that you look back on over the last couple of years and gone? That actually works surprisingly well or that was something that we said yes to and then it turned into something and we would have never expected it to work out the way it did. Or I guess any other part of your mm. kind of marketing and communications that you feel is really successful. Some of our stories on Instagram, I love creating uh, stories that talk about the concept in yep. a visual way that connects the visual outcome of the project. So Laminex was all about creating a, a gooey, caramelly kind of afternoon delight vibe. So the story started with a melted bit of caramel and somebody kind of pouring it loosely <laughs> over something. And for me, that really spoke the entire concept of that one project, a single image. So connecting those little videos, I think, are translating the concept really successfully and we get a lot of great feedback on Instagram from that. Also, my mum, when she came down to the National Gallery of Victoria when we did the installation, I, uh, she didn't actually know I was videoing her at the time, but her commentary was so <laughs> mum-like but so relatable to so many people and I still get people going, oh, she's on a highlight reel on the Instagram feed. So, yeah, I get a lot of people going, oh, I just watched Vic again. <laughs> Fuck, she's funny. Like, And I would oh, – this is also another spin-off of mum. I'm just trying to figure out how I'd actually film it though. Like I want her to be able to come into our yeah. finished projects for the first time before it gets shot or whatever and kind of going through the details and having her communicate her thoughts about what – why I, why did you do that? That looks <laughs> crap or, oh, why did those kind of mum, mum-like yeah. scenarios? I think that's super relatable for designers in a way that – they actually have no idea yeah. what we do. And so when you show them and you try to depict what, how, how many years it took to create these things, they're just, they don't get it still to this day. So I just think it'd be quite funny. I don't think it'd get me more work, but it would be a really funny thing for designers, for other designers. I yeah, think it'd be really absolutely. funny. But yeah, I want to create, I want to do a book. I want to do lots of things. So, um, And that's, again, yeah. just finding, having creative ideas, being different, not just looking at what everyone else is doing and coming up with awesome ideas like filming your mum. Fantastic. Who would have come up with that? <laughs> that's really, really good. If you've met my mum, you would have come to the same conclusion. I'm going to go through me. your uh, story highlights now and watch that video. Um, Yasmin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. 
Thank you so much for having me, Dave. That was super um, nice to talk about something else other than design and <laughs> I all hope the stuff so. that's behind I, doors. I'm sure so. it's a, it's a, yeah. talking about business and marketing is like a tough top, topic to talk about for an hour and 15 minutes, but thank you so much. <laughs> well, you <laughs> made you. it easy. Thank you. That was my conversation with Yasmin Janim from YSG. If you'd like to learn more about YSG, you can visit ysg.studio or follow them on Instagram at ysg.studio. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.